Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm glad that you're here with us. Good morning up there in the balcony. Morning balcony. Morning balcony people. <laughs> they had to pay a little extra to get the balcony seats. I am so happy that we are finally together again this first day of the week, this Lord's Day, and this will be our first time celebrating communion together uh, in person back in the sanctuary and, and at home. This is a special, special day. So thank you for being here. Thank you all for showing up and being here. We had an early morning service at 8.30, to 9, traditional communion service for our, uh, our seniors, those more at high risk, uh, were able to come for that special uh, service. That was Rob's idea. Real blessing we heard from everyone. Thank you so much for this. Can we do it again? Yes, we'll do it again. See, they came early. Now I bet they're home right now. They get, they get to double dip. Okay, so here we are in our series in uh, Hebrews. It's fine. It's free. Uh, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. His way of life, the offer of truth and, and life through Jesus is better. That's what the author of Hebrews has been saying for all the chapters of this long book, really a sermon. And then we come to chapter 13, where it all comes to application. And the author gives the application of what this better way of living looks like. And it looks like so far in our passage, it looks like love. So we're going to just review where we were last week, three verses, and then today's focus will be on verse 4. But chapter 13, verse 1, all about love. He says right out of the gate, love one another like brothers and sisters. Love like family. Verse 2, show hospitality. Love strangers. Someone's in need, show love to them. Verse, that's verse 2. Verse 3, love those who are in prison, those who are being mistreated. Now, can't everybody get behind that, that kind of love? What do you think? If we were to poll the average uh, population uh, here in our community, across the nation, I would think majority of people would say, I'm not so sure what you all were singing about Jesus being king, but I can get behind this idea of loving people. Yes, I can love people. I want to love strangers. I want to love people that are hurting. I want to express that. We're seeing that. In our response to COVID, we're seeing that kind of love and, and care for people, the people that are hurting. And so we're like, amen, great. Join in this Jesus way. That's terrific. Come along and see what more Jesus has for us. And so that next thing he has for us is verse 4. So just track with me this line of thinking. I'm being really enthusiastic, talking with my hands. I've been told, actually, on this live stream, it's a little distracting it could cause seizures with all the hand movements, so I'm, I'm really trying. I'll keep my hands behind my back for this part, because this is a good part, okay? Keep track with me. There's a line of thinking here about love in action, the Jesus way. Love people. Love brothers and sisters in Christ. Love strangers. Love your neighbor. Love those that are being mistreated. And then our text today, same line of thinking, verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And I see hands going up, wait, 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 wait. I, I got the, the, the love of, fine, you all think that you're in the same family. I get that part, and strangers, we got masks, we want to be nice. Okay, that, that kind of lands, that makes sense. People that are being mistreated, that, that makes sense. Gosh, you think about all the... Terrible things happening in China. We think about people we don't even know that care for people around the world that are in great need, people that are being 
abused and taken advantage of, what's happening in Hong Kong, all of that, vast majority of people will say yes to all that, and uh-oh, oh no, not verse 4. I'm not sure about this part. And folks, I want you to see the line of thinking here of the better way that Jesus has for us. That verse 4, this, the theme for today of honoring marriage, falls right in line with the kind of love we're seeing here, loving one another and strangers and prisoners. And then love, honor, prize, uphold the expression of love that God's given us in the institution of marriage. And then I say that it, it's just a flow because it continues next week. Uh, next week, verse 5, Sarah's going to be preaching on that. And the other verses, it says, now don't love money. Sort of the, the opposite of love. Don't love money because God loves you. God will provide for you. Trust the plan that God has for you. So, so what's the line of thinking? What, follow the logic here with me for just a moment. The wisdom of how we get to this verse because I know this is a challenge. Maybe for you, maybe for you at home, certainly for those that aren't following the way of Jesus, this is going to be a challenge. This line of thinking comes from the end of chapter 12. We talked about this as well last week, the importance of context. The very end of chapter 12, verse 28 and 29, and you can look at that on your own, the author reminds his listeners, his readers, of all that he's covered for 12 chapters. He says, now... You have been saved into an unshakable kingdom. And because of that, your response, what, what motivates you now is, as we'd say, an attitude of gratitude. That it's out of, out of reverence and awe for God. It's an expression even of worship. Live this new way. Put love into action this kind of Jesus way. And so even as we're talking about all these forms of love that we can get behind so easily, I want you to understand that's the context and that's the intention to communicate a message in love here this morning. That wisdom leads us to say to love, to, to honor, to, to value as a people. A God-given, God-instituted institution of marriage, something that's being torn apart in so many ways and picked away at, honor it by everyone in all circumstances and be sexually holy, set apart for this Jesus way of life. I want you to see all that wisdom in the context of love as good news. And this is a long introduction because I know the theme of, of honoring marriage touches on very tender places for many of us. It's a tender subject for many of us for a, a myriad of different reasons. For some, it, it dredges up memories of the past that we'd rather not remember again. Struggles that we've had in, in relationships, choices we've made in the past. It's touch, it touches on broken marriages and those who've, who've gone through divorce, the heartache of, of longing for a deep, a deep relationship, and say, here we go again. Here's a message that's going to be really hard for me to hear. Some of us in our church, in our family as a church, and we talked about churches aren't all perfect, right? It's family. 
We don't all agree on how to understand expressing this understanding from Scripture of marriage. Some of us are, even now, at home, here, not living in line with God's instruction here, people living together. And so we have many different experiences and and views as a church family, and and I want to say my desire is to, to instruct and to be sensitive, but to hold up to say, I believe this is God's truth and God's grace in his word. Amen? And so I want to communicate God's unchanging truth in an ever-changing context to a church family here and there at home, what Scripture clearly teaches, but, but in a way that I can be as sensitive as I possibly can to those that are listening. Our culture, listen, our culture has been no more dishonoring of marriage and the definition of marriage than we are right now. No more confused about sex and relationships than we are today. And so this message is kind of a throwback, isn't it? This morning we had an 8.30 traditional communion service. And so we sang hymns from yesteryear. Here we are. This is our, our contemporary online state-of-the-art equipment message. But the words I'm speaking probably sound sort of old school, foreign, Ignoring the wisdom of God's inspired word. The the dysfunction in relationships. Despite the fact of hundreds of thousands of resources that you can purchase online, Amazon, 130,000 books on relationships. Some 40,000 plus on on marriage and untold numbers. I've read different numbers in the 200,000 range on SEX and yet even with our fascination and our desires, there's dysfunction and brokenness. And I would say, according to Scripture, there's a profound lack of wisdom, and that lack of wisdom and the lack of boldness to speak clearly is found even within the church today. Our approach to dating and relationships has been confused. There's been fear. There's been manipulation used. Uh, I'm not old, uh, too old to remember times when there were ways that uh, former youth pastors would use to kind of pull on your heartstrings and, and make you have to do certain things, and, but not, never giving an explanation behind it that there's grace and love and there's a, a way of Jesus just, no, just do this and don't do that. So let's try to shed some light on this. Let's start at the beginning. A very good place to start. Everyone's kind of fading a little bit. You need a little oxygen. You guys, you're all breathing okay? All right. Let's go to the beginning. Genesis 1.1, it says, God created the heavens and the earth. That's where we start. That's our baseline. God created all things. Chapter 2, God created human beings in his own image. Adam and Eve, male and female, equal in dignity and value and worth in order to reflect God's likeness as an act of worship. And to experience love and to live in accordance with the design of the designer. Until when? How long did that last? About a red-hot minute until the fall. Until a desire of seeking things our own way caused division between 
human beings and their creator and even between one another. That embarrassment and fig leaves, right? And when questioned about relationships, not, of course, there wasn't a reference to dating in scripture uh, as we, we might think, but when Jesus is questioned about this context of marriage and the larger context about divorce, and he's, he's being questioned about, uh, about this by the scribes and leaders of, of that day. And yes, there are biblically legitimate causes for divorce, but really what they're getting at, they're trying to get at a loophole here, aren't they? Well, trust me, take my word for it. That's what they are doing in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 19. He's being questioned about this and that. What about this scenario? How about this scenario? How about this circumstance? And Jesus cuts through all of that and he says, haven't you read at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. So he quotes Genesis 1, 27 and 28. Then he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Genesis 2, 24. And he corrects them about their dishonorable twisting of God's good design. This is what makes marriage honorable. Not simply that monogamy is virtuous, and it is. Not only because God's given us as an institution marriage for, uh, among other things, for the, the raising and nurturing of children, which he has, and that's a good thing. No, the top of the list is it's by the creator's design. Period. It's by design. One man and one woman in covenant commitment in a one flesh union until death separates them. Because God created human life and created sexual union for, for married couples, we honor one man and one woman marriage. This is core to our worldview. This is central. Many of us have, have, have had, our church has had to make decisions in part influenced by this core value. And to see that the design that he has for marriage and that he has for life is reflected most profoundly in Jesus Christ's own relationship to the church. Just read Ephesians 4. The highest view, the highest understanding of what it means to be united would be Christ, united to his church that's, that's called the, the bride. He's known as the bridegroom, the groom. His cousin, John the Baptist, announces that, that he's coming, he's coming to town, he's coming to marry his bride. And throughout the New Testament, we see the church lifted up as the bride. Instead of pursuing the gifts of God in the God-designed way, we want to pursue things our own way, don't we? We want to just have it our own way. It's no different than it was in the garden. It's no different than we do now when we pick and choose and cherry pick the things that work for us. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. And that's why the author of Hebrews gives here in God's word a word of warning. He says, God is a holy God, a consuming fire. It means that God is jealous for you. He, he wants you. He wants to protect this thing that he's created in you. He wants you set apart. And so the author allows for there to be, says here that there is judgment for those who 
dishonor marriage, defile it, redefine it, hold marriage in contempt. And so I want to share with you three ways we can wisely respond to this very clear teaching from Scripture of honoring marriage. Three ways. we got three. Number one, just look at the text. We're just going to walk through the text. It says, honored, honored by all. Now, honored, to honor something is to hold something in, in high esteem. It's to see it as something valuable and precious and prized and something of great worth to be protected. That's what it means to honor. So that's the kind of attitude, that's the kind of, of energy we should bring to it of, of our own marriages and, and those of other people. It should be held in high esteem. Honored by all. And there's really two meanings there. And not to get too far into the Greek because I can't go too far. I might drown. There, there is that understanding by all, by everybody, that this message would be for, for everyone you know, and he's writing to, uh, to these believers in Jesus, but really saying, well, this is something that we all should get behind. And in that society, that was not the case. That was not the case at that time, and nor is it the case now. But the, the message there, and, and to me, to all of you, even if you're not a believer in Christ, I would say all of us need to honor the relationships that are around us, there's also a sense of in all circumstances. In all circumstances. And again, you need to be really sensitive. Because when you have the general teaching, and here I am at the pulpit, it's generally dark out here. I can see your eyes. I can't see your faces, and you're at home uh, on the screen. I can generally speak to this, but everyone has their own circumstance, right? Everyone has their own story. And I've heard many stories of circumstances. Like, hey, Pastor Pete, we are getting married in two months. We can't afford our house. We got, so we bought the house already. We've, we've moved in because we're going to save so much money. But we're just a few weeks off from get, getting married. Okay. And someone says, you know, I, I've, I've been single for years. And, and now I finally found someone that's special to me. Someone's come to me and says, you know, my... My spouse passed away. I've been a widower for a long time, and, and I found, finally I found someone to be a companion. There's so many different circumstances that we can bring up and, and dredge up. And I mean, probably, I don't want to name names, but I'll just name one name. Can I just do that as a pastor? Is that okay, name names? Probably not. I see head shaking. What about Rachel and Ross? We were on a break! Ross, come on. That... that Sorry, that, that did not land. We'll edit that in post, right, Corey? The friends reference, that was terrible. Sorry, I should not have gone with that. Okay. The Bible says in all circumstances, boy, that was terrible. I need, I need coaching again on trying to infuse 90s references in our hip, new, relevant 21st century. Okay. In all circumstances. And so what I want to say now, instead of trying to speak to all circumstances and to all groups of people here, I want to single out two groups, okay? Can I single out two groups of people here in this room, up there in that balcony, and there at home? Let's hear from the balcony, folks. Let's hear a balcony. All right, here we go. <laughs> I want to talk to young people that are still living at home. Let's say, let's say ages 13 to 21, and Nick already threw out there about what was, it, what, did, what was the phrase he used? The, the nightmare of living with your parents after you've graduated from high school? The night, he used nightmare. How are you feeling about him still being at home? Okay. So I want to talk to 
to 13-year-old teenagers and into your early 20s as number one, and number two to parents. Okay, so young people, good news, this is not the talk with Pastor Pete. <laughs> I can get through it, you can get through it. No, listen, young ones, I want to say to you, to everyone here up there, honor marriage. And by that I mean, I really want you to take some effort into encouraging the marriage relationship, the relationship between your mom and dad. You see, the, the health, the most healthy relationship, the most important relationship under your roof, do you want to know what the most important relationship is? Think about how much time you put and effort you put into different relationships. The most important one is between mom and dad. And you might think, young person, well, I thought the most important relationship is with God, Jesus, and then me, because they do everything for me, and it's about me, and it's about taking me places. And no, no. Under that roof, the most important relationship is between mom and dad, the time that they need for one another. And so, you know, we have Mother's Day. We have Father's Day. You know, there's another special day for moms and dads. You know what it's called? It's called their anniversary. And so I'd encourage you right now, uh, kids 13 and, and over, you should know your parents' anniversary. And you should honor it and make that special. Even this summer, in August, these long days of summer, find some way of offering to make dinner or get out of the house or do something that would make, make it special for their relationship. So that's the kids. To parents, Lord help you. <laughs> to parents, I want to say... Re- I want you to think right now of the the ways you spend your time, your energy. I want to say this, replace things that kill spiritual intimacy. Let me repeat that. Replace things that kill spiritual intimacy. So think about the habits of your day-to-day life, your life routine. Okay, I'll see you later. Or texting and, and going this way and that. Think about the degree of your spiritual intimacy how healthy is it? You know, healthy things grow. Is your relationship growing? Sure, we have dry seasons. <laughs> if you come to my house, my lawn is totally brown, right? There's no rain, there's no sprinkler system, but the roots are deep. And we'll get through this season. And Cheryl and I have had seasons and times in our life where, when we've been at conflict and and our relationship has been hard and, 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 and that sense of a season of being dry, and yet the roots are deep. And so we want to encourage you to have deepening roots of spiritual intimacy. So I want to ask the husbands first and foremost, are you loving your wives as Christ loved the church? That's the model given to us in Scripture. Think about what Christ did for the church Are you loving your wife in that way? Consider the ways that you spend your time, your money, your energy. And this is coming from someone who's really getting into playing a lot of golf. (laughs) So I'm I'm out of the house a lot, but that's the way of loving Cheryl. She's like, go, have fun. That's that's a rhythm for us. It works really, really well, but what is it going to work for you? Spiritual intimacy is not a to-do list. It doesn't look the same for everyone. It's not just a to-do list of, okay, I guess we got to read our Bible more, if that's what pastor's saying, or pray together more. 
But, but our marriages will only thrive when we hear God's voice together. Think about when you came together as a couple. You came before God in the presence of all your friends and family, how close you were. You can be there spiritually. And so I would encourage you to, to make a plan to pursue God together. And, and there's many different ways we can do that. And, and the Beans, Josh and Amy Bean, are, are planning to uh, offer a program that we have available right now through Right Now Media. There'll be more information about that coming. They're working with uh, David Miles on that to help build healthy relationships. We can do that in community. You can do that on your own. There's details to follow. But listen, I want to say this. And I say this, and I probably would get a big amen from those who've been married for more than five minutes. Marriage isn't easy. Okay. <laughs> Marriage isn't always easy. Some of us in this room and at home, some of us, know, we just know this is a squirming part of the message because we know see, I, we've grown apart. But like all things in life, God uses our experiences to help us rely on him more, draw on him more, come to him more and say, Lord, I, I want to be humble before you. I need your help. I, Pastor Pete's given me this challenge to build spiritual intimacy. I don't know how to talk about those things with him, with her. Something I say in pre-marriage counseling, I'll just take a moment to say here because I think it's something important to remember that I usually get the call to do a wedding long after all the other arrangements have been made, one of the last calls to be made, and I say to the couple, listen, while you're planning your wedding, I'm here to help you prepare for your marriage. And that it's not just simply a contract that you're signing, a contract between two parties that promise to hold up their end of the bargain or else their consequences. It is a covenant before God. Two broken, sinful, imperfect people that come together, this complementary relationship that come together as God's bringing heaven and earth together in all of creation and he's reuniting things. He's bringing two very, very different people together in one mysterious union, one plus one equaling one in covenant. The best picture of this that we have is the picture of the cross. Jesus didn't expect his marriage to the bride, the church, to go well and to be easy all the time. It was very much a one-sided relationship, and it still, unfortunately, is today. It's hard. Our Lord carries the scars of his love for us, even now. So husbands and wives, what are you willing to do right now to build that spiritual intimacy before I move on, I'll say quickly, but importantly, if there's any form of abuse at all, please seek help immediately. Please come to us. We can get you help. We have helped many couples, many individuals, many, many people who have passed hurts and pains, and even now uh, say, is it okay for me to come? And, and we're not married, but we're having hardships, and I, I'm, I'm separated, but come. All of you are welcome to come. We will find help for you, professional help. But if your marriage is not abusive, just hard, I just want my challenge to you to leave you here on this point number two is, how might God be using that hard season to call both of you to real sacrificial love? Number two, so that's honor by all. Number two, keep the marriage bed 
pure. That's a euphemism for sex. Can you have pleasurable sex outside of Jesus' better way? Sure, I wouldn't know. Cheryl and I waited till we got married. But is it better than the Jesus way? Oh, no. Scripture teaches and our life experience tells us premarital or extramarital sexual acts, sleeping together, can't be all that God wants for you because it's not how God has designed you. So in the end, it won't draw you any closer to that person that you're having sex with. You won't be a better partner in the future. That momentary pleasure, that dopamine that just hits you, it will fade. It won't draw you closer to God. This is a message of God's love, the better way that he has for you, who alone satisfies completely. But married sex can draw you closer to God and to your spouse. So I will say this, and I'll challenge anyone who wants to fight me on it. The Jesus way of relationships is better. And so my encouragement to all of us, wherever we are in community, why don't we take more time focusing on building relationships that are healthy and friendships and real community? And we have that here as a church in our small groups. There are people that care about you and love and show that affection through relationships. And I, I have parts here I could talk about things, preachy stuff, but gosh, you know, entertainment choices and things of that nature. I just, I really wanted to, to leave you with this thought, you know, the author of Hebrews, he doesn't give any of those instructions. He doesn't say, okay, you know, in this case, in this scenario, do this, in this scenario, do that. You know the, you know the drill, you know the choices you make, you know the entertainment choices you're making. You know there's a button called the delete button, the fast forward button. You don't have to read that book or even that chapter. But the author just goes right to saying, a warning of God's judgment for the unrepentant, for those that are unrepentant who dishonor marriage, defile the marriage bed. He says it leads to consequences, and really what it leads to is our third and final point about honoring marriage, and it's this. I want you to live out forgiveness and grace. Hear this as good news. Even if you've messed up with God's design, you've tinkered with the plans of the maker, God reconciled everything. What's included in the list of everything? All things, everything. He reconciled it all through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. Listen to the text. It says, God will judge. What's it say? You thought I wasn't going to read it again, right? Some of you thought, well, he, he's kind of shy. He doesn't want to read it again. I'll read it again. He says, God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. That's God's word. That's what it says. You know that exact same phrase shows up elsewhere in Scripture? When Paul's writing to the church in Corinth that was way out there, in some of their behaviors. He says in chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, he says, all the ways that they were messing up, all the things that were happening uh, in that church in the context of just messy relationships, broken relationships, totally dishonoring marriage. Now look at this verse. Look at verse 11. He says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, past tense, it's happened, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So friends, that means he's saying, live 
out of forgiveness and grace. That's the good news of the gospel, that there is forgiveness, that there's grace, there's new beginnings, there's the offer of stepping back into the right way and the right relationship with God and one another right now. Live out of that forgiveness and grace that you'll receive today at the table as his beloved. Yes, there is judgment. After all, God is a holy God. God will 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 honor all that he says that will happen. He's a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. That's all true. For those who say baloney, for those who've already clicked off this message, there are consequences. But if you trust and believe in Jesus, you take one step of faith, he will take three steps towards you and embrace you in love. Hebrews 9, 27 to 28, and almost done. It says, just as people are destined to die once, and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear, appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. He's not going to bear sin anymore. Why? Because he's already paid for all sin of all time. It says to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are the things that you're pursuing? You think, gosh, if I, if I could only have this, if I could only experience that, if, if this person would only change, if, if I could look a little different, then this could happen. What are the things that you're waiting for? Jesus, the most beautiful person that ever existed, says, the waiting is almost over. I'm coming for you. Hebrews 7.25, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He's always showing up on time. He always shows up on time, knows what you need, is responsive to your needs, whatever that is, Jesus is always there. So the God who calls us to maintain this standard of sexual conduct, to, to uphold the social contract of supporting marriage covenants, the creator God, the one who designed, put it into you, those dopamine factors. Put it into you, created your body to function as it is functioning. Your body is a beautiful thing. That very Jesus is coming with power, forgiveness, and grace. And so I want to leave you with this. At the end of every wedding ceremony, I have the privilege, I see a couple so close to that first kiss, and I say to the whole congregation gathered here, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And that it's sealed with a kiss. And today what we seal it with is the table. We're going to celebrate Holy Communion, and hopefully everyone received... Your little cup and juice. Did everyone get it? Raise your hand if you didn't. The table, according to scripture, this table is a table of a wedding feast. You ever been to a wedding? I go, I've been to many, many weddings as a pastor. I always want to sit at the table in the back with the, the co-workers. It's usually the fun table. They're always having fun. 
And they always say, no, no, no. Oh, pastor, we want you to have this seat here. I usually sit with the angry uh, step aunt who hates God and, and then the atheist who wants to like question me about, you know, politics and stuff like, oh, I want to be with the fun people. But at least that table of honor is close to those that are up front, the wedding party. Gosh, man, wouldn't it be fun to be able to sit up there? They're going to get fed first, right? This table is big enough for everyone, everyone to come. If you've accepted the invitation of Jesus, he says, come to my Father's house. And that's what we celebrate here. That's what we're drawing our attention our hearts, Scripture says, Lamentations uh, 3, 11, or 14, where our hearts are lifted up before God. And so I want you to take a moment right now in prayer. And I'll lead us in that prayer. Prayer just to get our hearts right and ready before the Lord. And if you're at home, you can join in this prayer and be prepared with bread and cup as well. And then at the end of the prayer, we'll, I'll lead you also in the Lord's Prayer which will, will be on your screen. So let's pray. Lord, in the quietness of this moment, with our eyes closed, our attention turned to you, O oh God. Hear us, Lord God, as we come before you now. A word of, of confession, a word of really what's on our heart, the feelings that we're feeling, frustrations, hardship, also the happiness and, and joy. We want to bring all of that to you, God. The things that we're seeking, the things that we need to change. Hear now, God, all of that from us. Oh, Lord God, we confess what we have done and what we've left undone, especially in regard to what it means to honor marriage by all in every circumstance on honoring uh, the designs that you have for us our relationships with one another. Lord, you've loved us not with a selfish love or a self-serving love, but a sacrificial love. And so, God, we confess our our need for your spirit to continue to work in us, God. Work in us at work of restoration, forgiveness, and grace. We pray, God, that the cup that we bless and the bread that we break, Lord, would be the very body and blood of Christ that we celebrate. And Lord Jesus, we pray as you toss, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. When Jesus gathered with his friends, it didn't look like much of a, of a party, that Passover feast. It was probably pretty quiet, maybe a little sadness in the air, a little fear of what was coming. But it says, knowing what was to come, he loved them to the end. And after giving thanks, he took the, the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat this and remember me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many. 
for the forgiveness of sin. And the Apostle Paul told us, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim his saving death and resurrection until he comes again. Think about the gifts that we give one another in in our relationships that matter so much to us. Think now of the gift that he's given to us. I invite you to take the the top seal and remove the, the wafer and to receive the bread of life. And now let's now take the the cup and be careful that it doesn't splatter. I'll invite the team to come on up. And let's just take this moment as they're getting settled in to express our gratitude to God for what what he's doing in us right now. Just take that, that quiet moment you need with Jesus.